You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is David Sandu. This is Amy Minkley, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of the Earn and Invest podcast. This is one of my favorites. We do it about once a year. It is Ask Me Anything. This is a chance for you, the audience, to ask me questions. Of course, all of you, the audience, aren't here right now. So instead... I have Amy and David, who are part of the audience, Earn and Invest listeners, and they have come ready to ask me your burning, scintillating questions. I don't think there's anything that burning or scintillating about me or the podcast, but maybe (laughs) they've come up with something. Before we get to those questions, let's have them introduce themselves. Amy, let's start with you. Tell everybody who you are. Hi. And thanks for having me, Doc G. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Amy Minkley. Um, I am a international school teacher for 20 years, um, but I have since fired in Bali. And I'm running a five freedom retreat for fire um, adherence in Bali in September. So I'm very excited to be here today and to talk to you and um, be here for your listeners. So yes, financial independence is even a thing in Bali, which is really, really cool. You're doing that retreat and it's filled up, hasn't it, Amy? Yeah, that's right. It sold out very quickly. And, you know, I'm having people from all over come, a lot of people from the U.S., but Australia and Singapore and the region as well. All right. And David, why don't you tell us all who you are and uh, what interests you? Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Dr. G for having me. Uh, yeah, my name is David Sandu. I am a uh, rocket scientist turned financial advisor. So I've uh, been doing that for about five years now. And um, yeah, married, have a, have a young daughter. So she keeps me pretty busy. And we have another one on the way. So things are about to get even busier. I feel like there's the rocket scientist joke there, right? You don't have to be a rocket scientist, but you know what? David is one. So there you go. (laughs) You don't have to be a rocket scientist to listen, to earn, and invest. And like I said, this is a special episode where you all can ask me anything. Here's your chance, Amy. Let's start with you. Ask me anything. What is on your mind? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I've been reading Taking Stock again, and I love the book. And I was really inspired by your talk about the efficient time frontier and your, you know, your habits and your routines that you have set up to manage, you know, earn and invest, stacking Benjamins, being a hospice doctor, being a husband and father. And I know you have a lot of habits and routines in place that you've spoken about before, but I'm curious from you, what is your most important habit that you feel like helps you to be so productive and balanced in your life? 
So believe it or not, and this is going to sound a little cheesy, but I think my most important habit actually is getting up early in the morning. I've always Mm. been an early riser and I feel like you can get so much done when everyone else is sleeping. So for some people, Mm. that's really early in the morning. For other people, that's late at night. I find that I can just get things done. So I wake up at 445 or five most mornings and that's before the kids get up. It's before my wife gets up. A lot of times I'll get up, I'll do some reading, I'll edit the podcast, I'll write if I'm in the middle of a book project or something like that. And it's just a really, really great time not to be bothered. I think that's part of the problem today with doing deep work is, you know, we just don't get the chance anymore. Like there's always something taking our attention. Maybe it's social media. You know what? For me, I'm a part-time hospice doctor, but I still take phone calls nine to five Monday through Friday. So I get lots of texts. So even now as we're recording, I'm still getting texts and things, people trying to reach out to me. So it's really nice to have that concentrated time where no one can get to me. I think a corollary to that, which may not be the most healthy, but I also don't necessarily sleep a lot, which gives me lots of time. So I wake up (laughs) around five in the morning and then I go to bed usually around 11 at night. So a good six hours is my normal, even mostly on the weekends. Uh, So the wonderful thing about that is most people as they get older feel like they have less and less time. And I feel like I'm in this place in life where I have more things to keep me busy than ever, but I feel Mm -hmm. a good deal of time abundance. like. I feel like if there's something new or extra I want to do, there's always a place to do it. And uh, that's been real magical for me because I think it's the one thing, and I've talked about this in the book and we talk about this all the time. It's the one thing we have no control over, right? Like you cannot control time. It's going to pass no matter what. Um, So I think that's my best habit that kind of keeps me productive. I'd throw the same thing back at you, Amy. What is your best Mm -hmm. productive hack? Right now, it's I'm a morning person too, so it's 6 a.m. in Bali here. Um, but I use the Pomodoro timer, so I have a, an accountability buddy that I text every day, you know, and I put in the order of what things I'm going to accomplish that day in the order I'm going to accomplish them. In the morning, I send her a list over WhatsApp, and then I use the Pomodoro timer to do that. And just kind of, you know, you talked about it in your books um, too, you know, focusing on the 80 20. And really doing those, you know, moving those hard rocks first in the morning helped me a lot. The Pomodoro method. I've heard it spoken about often, but tell people what that is. So there's a um, website called, I think it's Pomodoro.io. And it's a a timer that you can set. And I can actually put in the task I'm going to achieve in that. And I can choose a 25-minute time. time period, or I can choose a 40 minute time period to accomplish that task. And then after that, you know, it'll, it'll ding and it'll give me a little five minute break, but just by setting that timer and having it running on my computer while I'm doing those items on my accountability list has really been helpful for me. And as you said, Doc G too, also turning off my notifications, making sure I'm not getting interrupted while I'm working. Yeah, that's good old Parkinson's law, right? If you only give yourself a certain amount of time to do it, you will achieve Mm -hmm. it in that time period. David, that brings us to you. Since we only have a limited time period for this episode, ask me anything. Yeah, so, uh, right, not surprisingly, your experience as being a hospice doctor, my question is more on uh, what's what's after that. So my, my question is more on what are your thoughts on the afterlife? Right. And, and from your experience, 
Um, what part does faith play in that? So this is a great question. Um, I've had the privilege, and I do think it's a privilege, of being in the room as I've watched many people die peacefully on hospice with family members around, or even my own family members. I've been in the room, for instance, when my grandma died. And I will tell you that something changes when someone dies. So I'm a trained physician. I know physiologically what to look for. I know what a heartbeat, you know, how to see a pulse in someone's neck. I know how to see their chest moving back and forth. So yes, clinically as a physician, when I'm in the room and someone dies, you see those physical changes, but there is something unmeasurable that also changes that I've never, ever been able to truly describe adequately. I can only tell you that when someone dies, something changes, something leaves the room, and I don't have a better explanation than that. In fact, it's enough so that I've had also the experience because I've worked in nursing homes for a long time where I'd walk in to see a patient first thing in the morning and they'd be dead. And I will tell you, walking into that room, I always knew immediately before I checked for a pulse, before I listened to them. So there's some essence of life I can't explain. And I'm speaking as a scientist, right? Not as a person of faith right now, but just as a scientist, because that's what I'm trained to be. There's something unmeasurable there. And so I don't know what happens to that essence, where it goes. Is there an afterlife? I mean, I don't know. Religion doesn't play a huge part of my life. I was born Jewish. I got bar mitzvahed. Uh, I believe religion is a good thing and a good thing for a lot of people. It's never felt like the thing for me. I think faith is very comforting for people. And, you know, look at the studies. We know that people live longer. They have closer community and associations and all those kind of things. Um, however, it hasn't played a huge role in my life. So I don't know. <laughs> and if you don't, if religion doesn't play a big role in your life, that's one of the big answers to what happens next. And so if you don't use that answer, the question is, what is the right answer? And at this point, I think it's unknowable. So something happens, people die, something leaves the room. But what comes after that? I don't know. David, I, I was looking up a little bit about you as I knew that you were going to help me do this Ask Me Anything episode. And I know faith plays a big role in your life as well as in your financial life. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I actually, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And um, I, I was actually, I asked you this question because I, I was in the room when my grandmother passed away. And it it was a very um, kind of surreal experience and and kind of to what you're saying, we could kind of sense that she had passed even before kind of all the machines started beeping at us and everything. Um, but yeah, my, my, my faith is a big part of what, and, and I think it helped us right through those times. I think it helps a lot of people through times to, 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 to believe that there is something outside of our own personal um, accomplishments that is, that is helping us guiding us that we can lean on. Uh, but yeah, that actually uh, did play a big factor in me leaving uh, the world of rocket science and, and electrical engineering. Um, yeah, so I, I am a Christian financial advisor. So a lot of the the types of portfolios even that we construct uh, from a financial planning perspective, um, I'm a part of the Kingdom Advisors Group. And so we in, we implement biblical principles in our, in our financial planning practices. So uh, things like generosity and, and debt and saving and investing have just a little bit different of a meaning uh, from a from a Christian perspective. Um, and, and that that's actually what led me to become a financial advisor because I was kind of hardcore on the choose five five path, choose five path and, and the financial independence path. 
Um, and then I realized, you know, what, what is, what is all this for? Uh, there's actually a, a parable in, in the Bible where Jesus is talking about a rich man and he says, the rich man basically builds bigger and bigger barns to fill more and more things in, in these barns. And Jesus says to him, you're, you're a fool. You're going to die tonight. And so uh, that's kind of a, a parable that, that I resonate with, especially as it relates to like estate planning and financial planning, because what is it all good for? Yeah, the, the Bible says a lot about money. So if you study the Bible, actually, a lot of the parables and a lot of the actual words speak about money. It's actually quite interesting to look at money through that lens not only does the Bible talk about money, but we here at Earn and Invest do, which means, Amy, you are up for the next Ask Me Anything question. Um, David's question sparked a curiosity in me, um, you know, related to David talked about leaning on religion during hard times. And I guess I'm curious also and I've I've struggled with this myself, you know. My I was raised Christian, and then finding a spiritual path that that feels aligned for me. Um, what what is it that you lean on, Doc G, in times that are difficult? And if if you don't have necessarily uh, religious practices that you do, are there other transformational courses or other things that have added benefit to your life? And what have you got out of them? I know that was a, a kind of a long question, but yeah, that's no helpful. problem. I think there are a number of things that transform my life regularly. Um, I think exercise is one. Like I try to build a habit of exercise every day, even if it's just walking for an hour, something in which I'm moving and get my heart rate up. So that's a big part of my life is I'm usually doing some type of cardiovascular activity a good hour to a day, no matter what. So exercise has transformed me. Music. Um, I especially find things like classical music really calms me down, especially if I'm feeling anxious about something. And last but not least, meditation. So I'm a big fan of meditation. When I was little, I had severe headaches and mm. nothing we could do would fix them. I mean, I even got a, like a CAT scan when I was a little kid. Eventually, I went to a biofeedback practitioner. Now, biofeedback mm -hmm. helps you pretty much put yourself in a meditative state and then try to control what's happening physiologically in your body. So if you're getting headaches, you would calm yourself, get yourself to a meditative state, and then start concentrating on your neck muscles or your head muscles and relaxing them. And this would, it was like self-hypnosis is the way the guy who taught me, the biofeedback practitioner taught me about it. And I always use that as a type of meditative activity. So even as a little kid, I learned things like visualization and learned things like how to calm yourself. And much of what he did is very similar to if you've ever gone to a class and someone's taken you through a meditation, much of what I did then with this biofeedback practitioner was very similar to that. It's relaxing all the muscles of your body and becoming still and deep, breathing deeply. And so I've always used these things to help calm me and to also visualize, like you go to medical school, you're performative. So I'm used to this always performing to get the grades, to, to win the debates, to do whatever needed to be done to move forward in school. So I always found that visualization and meditation and relaxation were really good ways of dealing with stress, anxiety, and dealing, yeah, with the everyday stresses of, of going to medical school and residency, et cetera. So those are the kind of like the three things that really call me exercise, meditation, and music. What do I lean on? You know, I think as I grow older, what I've really come to terms with is the purpose of all this is community, right? It's other people. Um, so 
at one point in my life, and many of us thought it was money, right? And so we, in a sense, looked at financial independence or whatever it was, and we made net worth our big goal, and we went after that. And after that, as I wrote my book, Taking Stock, I really started thinking about, well, the money is a tool, and what does that get us? Well, that gets us a life where we can use our time to pursue purpose, but as I think about it further, and I talked about this a little in the book, and I've been thinking about it a lot more lately, really the point of purpose itself is to do those things that are important to you. And in doing them, you generally affect the people around you and build community and change the world. And so I think the end stage of all this for me, at least at this point, is we use all of this in order to make stronger bonds and community and to connect with people. And that's, I think, our lasting legacy, right? We talk about what kind of legacy do we want to live? And a lot of us think it's our achievements. And some people even think it's our money and what money we live or what causes we give to. But ultimately, I, I believe it's probably the people we touch and the little pieces of ourselves that they take with them after we die and they hand them down to generation after generation. I mean, we talk about in finances, we talk about genetic trauma a lot. And the way we do that is we talk about money scripts, right? These are the things that have been passed on to you from your parents or your grandparents. They are the poor coping skills we get about money that have been passed on because of the foibles of our previous generations. I think the exact opposite is true too, that we have generational growth. In other words, by living our lives of purpose and touching the people around us, instead of these poor coping mechanisms we hand on, we can also hand on all these positive things. So instead of generational trauma, we can have generational growth. And I think that's what legacy really looks like. It's kind of like the people you touch and how they carry a little piece of you with them even after you're gone. And so that's that's what I've been concentrating and thinking a lot about leaning on is family and friends and loved ones and, and those type of things building a community. And in fact, I think in a sense, that's what I was hoping with Earn and Invest is to build a broader community, right? So there's those people that you can touch directly because you're related to them or you're close to them or your friends or you're geographically located. Um, but I like content production because in a sense, we can also build a broader community. And that was always my hope for Earn and Invest is to build this broader community of people that were connected and that could share together. And of course, David, part of sharing is answering people's questions. So that means you are <laughs> up again. Ask me anything. Uh, yeah. So um, I, I shared this this story at my uh, my father's funeral. So my, my father had a heart attack and passed in his sleep about 10 years ago. And before he passed, I asked him, I said, Dad, do you have any retirement or investment accounts? And he started laughing. And I, you know, I was like, what's so funny? He's like, well, I have five investment accounts that I've been putting money into over the years. And then I started laughing. And, and the punchline of the story is I'm one of five kids. And so he really wasn't <laughs> saving or investing anything <laughs> for retirement. He was he was putting money into us. And after the after the funeral, I, again, I shared that story at, at, uh, during the funeral. But after the funeral, all five of us got up and, and spoke about our father what are the things that you would want your family and your kids to get up and, and share? Well, what are those precious memories? I mean, obviously you don't have to share the most intimate ones, but what are those things that you want to be remembered most by? Well, I'll tell you, and I've thought a lot about this. And my answer used to be that what I'd want people to always say, especially my kids, is that I was there for them. And I have to tell you, and this is very personal. Um, 
I did therapy a while ago and I realized that that was interesting given the fact that that's exactly what my father wasn't because he died when I was young. So it's interesting when you ask what, what I want people to remember me for or what, what I want my kids to carry on. I think it's partially just that I really love them. Like no matter what, um, that I invested in them, not necessarily in money, but with time and love and connection that I supported them that I was quick to smile and laugh with them and to be there for them. And that when they truly utterly needed me, when the shit was really hitting the fan, that they had no doubt that they could call me and I would be there. And I don't know. I hope that my creativity and my love of good conversations and my, my joy of creating and building things, um, my audacious, attempts at doing things that were sometimes out of my comfort or certainly out of my skill set. The idea that I would think really, really big and nine times out of 10, nothing would come out of it, but maybe one out of 10 times something fun and interesting and exciting would happen. Uh, I think if I can hand those things down, if they can take a little bit of that with them, with my kids or my wife or whoever is around after I'm gone, or even the people who listen to this podcast, if that part of me can live on and and spur people to maybe take some risks or to be there for someone else or or to have that intense conversation and to be to be really inquisitive, because I think that's partially why I like doing the podcast so much is ultimately we think a lot about the wisdom and knowledge we can give other people, but what really excites me are those probing questions we can ask other people that really help them learn about themselves in the world. And so I think if I were to think about what my eulogy hopefully will look like or what my legacy will look like, it'll be some of those those characteristics that I hope I hope will be passed on. I, I think it's a tough question. And I'm wondering, David, for you, the same question. Like what are you hoping you will pass on to to your child or the next generation or the people who are left after you're gone. Yeah, I think I think about this a lot, especially uh, like I said, I'm a new dad, so my uh, my oldest is uh, is two, and then we have another one due here in just a couple of months, and so um, kind of a newer, fresher dad. <laughs> but but I do think about this a lot um, when it comes to what w- what are the things that I want to be remembered by, and what what will my daughter say when she stands up and and I'm I'm laying there. Um, and I and I think it comes down to a couple of things, but one of them is is faith that I that I taught her to believe in herself, but also in 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 God, and, and that there's um, there's strength in community. So so faith and community that that she was a good a good um, a connector of people, and that she cared about people. Um, and then the third, I think, would I would say is character that that uh, that my character would. You know, nobody would be able to say anything about my character because I just did the right thing all the time and I was a person of integrity. So those are those are three things I would say. It's funny because, you know, we come into this conversation. Earn and Invest is a financial podcast. And we start this conversation and many of us did when we became part of this community talking about money. But you transcend that conversation and ultimately start talking about like what's the deeper, bigger, important things faith, community, connections, connectedness. It's interesting how these conversations evolve um, and how they change over the years. And I've definitely seen that 
at Earn and Invest. And I think if you look at the financial independence retire early community, it's evolved. And Amy, I'm sure when you do your conference in Bali, you'll you'll very much find that the financial topics only are a small portion of the overall conversations. It's really kind of exciting. I think it's it's evolved in a really nice way. And this conversation also has to evolve. So I know you guys are loving my transitions. I know you are. I I know you're loving my transitions. (laughs) So Amy, take us forward. Help us evolve this conversation. Ask me anything. Well, you spoke about generational growth and David asked you a question about legacy and what what you want your kids to remember you by. But I guess just knowing that you're taking your son off to college in September and, um, you know, I'm I'm wondering specifically around the topic of education and career and working life, because I know you've redefined those terms in your book. You know, what are the conversations you're having with your son and your daughter about, um, you know, designing their life? It's funny because I think you educate your kids in a few different ways, right? One mm-hmm. is you didactically teach them. You sit them down and say, this is investing. This is compounding. This is how it works. Here's the math behind it. We don't do a lot of that, and people are generally really poor at it. I mean, you have economics classes in school and et cetera, but it's not the best way. Then there's modeling, right? So your kids get to see what you do. So they see me as an investor. They see me as someone who's bought real estate. They see me as someone who's, quote unquote, retired early, but yet still has passion products, projects, et cetera. And last but not least, they learn by experience. And hopefully we as parents create safe experiences in which they can succeed and fail and learn in a safe environment so that when they're out there buying, using their first credit card or buying their first house, they don't fail the way they would if they had none of these experiences. So I think a lot about how we teach our children. I try to give them a mix of really good modeling and then experiential learning, giving them a chance to have money, to use it, to be responsible for what happens with that money, et cetera. But I also try to give the advice that I give other people in my book, Taking Stock, which is we need to learn how to put purpose, identity, connections first, figure out who we want to be and what we want to do in this world, and then use that to springboard and build a financial framework around it. So as I go further in the personal finance community, as I've studied more, listened to more podcasts, interviewed more people, you realize that the financial paths are well-worn and we know what those are and they're really definable. So you can always build a financial framework eventually that will serve you or at least serve you better than not having a framework is serving you. But figure out who you want to be and what you want to do in life. I think that's the really hard thing to do. So I try to hopefully with my kids really help them realize what are the important things in their life and what do they want to do? And of course, purpose is going to change a million times for them by the time they're my age, maybe even more. And so to to help them start to see these are the kind of ways you go about deciding what speaks to you, what whispers to you, and how do you pursue those things in a healthy way? And so I think I think that's how I kind of look at the kids. What I don't do, and I get flack for this, is I don't, I haven't opened up a Roth IRA, for instance, for my son who is working on my podcast. So we could do that, right? There are a lot of finer points I actually don't do, which I could be criticized by people who are deep into personal finance. And I understand their point. Yes, put the money into the Roth IRA when they're 15, and then it's going to compound. And then when they're 40, they're going to be able to do whatever they want to do. 
I guess I'm a little bit of a purist. Part of me wants to teach them some of the rules and let them figure out the rest on their own. And I think that makes me different than some people. I think, you know, it's it's the whole, you know, you can give them fish or you can teach them how to fish. And I certainly would rather teach them how to fish as opposed to just giving them the fish. But I'm not Pollyanna about that either. Like I want them to do well to start with, but I also want them to go out and figure some of this stuff out on their own. Like, and I think looking back, that's kind of how my parents did it with me. And I think part of feeling good about any wealth you accumulate has to be that you kind of got there somewhat on your own, right? So if everything is given to you and you're told always exactly how to do everything, it doesn't feel so good even when you get to those places you want to be economically. And I think that's, I think I'm really, really thoughtful about that. And I'm a, I'm more of a hands-off parent, I think, than a lot of people are. Like I let my kids fall on their face a little bit more, I think, than most, most parents do, depending on what it is. I try to, I try to be hands-off. At least that's my goal. Unlike in this podcast, where we try to be much more prescriptive about what we think you should and shouldn't do with your finances. Speaking of prescriptive, David, do you have another question for me? Ask me anything. Yeah, I do. Uh, So one of the things that I've noticed uh, being in the financial independence community is burnout. Uh, So you save, you invest and you do it for 10 years and you're then you wake up and you're like, man, I'm just burned out from listening to the same types of people on financial independence path. And I know everybody gets there at different levels. Some people listening to this will be their first show and some people it'll be their hundredth show. Um, so what what are your thoughts on that? How, how do you maintain momentum when financial independence, I would, you know, financial independence burnout, I guess, get, gets up there? So I think the thing about it truly is that it takes a very short period of time to really learn everything you need to know about financial independence. If you think about it, most of us don't listen to the podcast after about the first, you know, 50 podcasts you've listened to about financial independence. You don't listen to them anymore to learn something new about financial independence. You listen to them because it builds your community. Like these become your people, their shared interests. These are the bonds that tie you together. So I believe that that's why we persist in talking about this stuff that most of the time we generally have a good idea of. It's not figuring out the steps that it's hard. It's traversing the steps. And so the goal is not that you spend lots and lots of time figuring out what the steps are, because again, I think that's imminently learnable. But having a community built around you that can support you when you're stumbling on those steps means everything. And I think that's what keeps us here. So we burn out on the knowledge, but hopefully the evolution is you don't burn out on the relationships and on the community and on the being together. Now, we all know you can burn out on that too, um, especially if you feel like you're in a different place than everyone else, or you just get tired of talking about money. But I think we all have to realize the point of all this is to not spend your life thinking about money. The point of all this is to build a financial framework that supports you so that you can think about the more important things. And I think that's I think that's the goal. And I think that's the antidote to burnout, Mm -hmm. in a sense, is to realize what the purpose of all this is and then to use it to your benefit. And 
That's why nowadays when I get together with all my friends that I met in 2015, 16, 17, 18, and we talk, they're from the financial independent circles. We don't really talk about finances much at all. You know, we don't talk about money. We don't talk about investments. Um, if we do, they're very specific questions like, hey, how did you do this? I don't know how to do it. But otherwise, what we generally do is talk about our lives. And I think that's I think that's how you stay away from burnout. And again, it gets back to the the perfect as being the enemy of good. I think part of the reason we get burned out is because we get past knowing the 80%, we get past knowing the 95%, and we get stuck trying to learn that 98, 99%. It's like, you know what? You can be imperfect, and that's fine. You can decide that you don't want to convert every single penny of your traditional IRA to a Roth IRA, and you know what? That is just okay. In fact, you can decide that you're not sure what's better than a Roth or a traditional and put half in one and half in the other. And that's fine. Like, and you might be wrong and you might suffer a slightly different economic consequence over a long period of time, uh, but that's okay. And I kind of rejoice in that. And I think that also helps with burnout too, is when you start again, when you stop taking yourself as seriously and start actually taking seriously the thing that is important, which I think is the connections in the community. Amy, I have no snappy retort to follow after that. <laughs> you're up next. Well, I love what you yeah, I love what you're saying about connection and community. And and I very much relate to this, you know, feeling that when I get together with my friends that I've met through the fire community, we're not talking about money. We're talking about more important questions in life. Um, which leads me to wonder, you know, I know you're you're a avid reader, you're a lifelong learner. Um, what are you, what topics are you deep diving on now? What are you really interested in? We are going to answer that as well as more questions. I had gotten so into this that I forgot that I had to read it in a break. This is an ask me anything episode and we are hanging out with Amy Minkley and David Sandu. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G and this is the earn and invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. I have a confession to make. Money has been stressful to us lately. Look, we are in the midst of a house remodel. We are sending our first kid to college, and everything I thought I knew about budgeting has been out the window. 
the main savior for us has been Monarch Money. We started using Monarch Money about three months ago. My wife and I have been thinking a lot about our finances and our budget has changed But we love Monarch Money because it's collaborative. We can both look at this together as well as share it with other people like a financial advisor if we want to. It's really aspirational. We can put information in there about, for instance, our kids' college education or about our remodel. And we can see where we need to go and where we are going. This is the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I love about Monarch Money is it's intuitive. It's really easy to sign on and connect all your bank accounts and credit cards. As we said, it's collaborative. It's also customizable. Like We were able to build in exactly what we wanted to do with our kids' college education as well as our home remodel. This is an app that is customer-focused. Really, Monarch Money is looking to make this app useful to you and me and all of us who are aspirational about our money. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners to the show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Welcome back. This is an Ask Me Anything episode with Amy Minkley and David Sandu. And we are talking about life, the Earn and Invest podcast, my book, Taking Stock. And me personally, before the break, Amy asked me, what am I taking a deep dive into lately, especially in light of the fact that I am a heavy reader? You guys are going to laugh at this. Okay. I actually don't read nearly as many personal finance books because I have to read them for the podcast because I interview people. So I don't really read personal finance books anymore. And I don't read much self-help. I love reading fiction often really runs the gamut. What I've been reading lately is actually crime detective stuff like John Sanford, Michael Connelly, like that's what I've been doing. And I've read, like I'll read, I read probably two or three books a week. So I spend my day. If you want to know what my day looks like, it's like two hours of exercise, two hours of reading, maybe a little more, and then like a bunch of hours of podcasting and hospice work. So I spend lots and lots of time reading and I've been doing deep dive. I love detective novels and I love reading things that have no other purpose. I don't need to learn. I just want to enjoy them. It's like popcorn, right? Mm-hmm. My whole purpose on on reading a lot of this stuff is for personal joy and pleasure. To answer your question another way, I am working possibly, I've been working on another book. And so I've been thinking a lot about a way to move from taking stock to what would be the next point in the conversation. And I think the next point in the conversation is purpose. So I've been doing a lot of thought about purpose and what that means in our lives and what's good and bad about purpose, how we pursue it and what mistakes we make while we're pursuing it. And Maybe is there a better way to get there for people? So that's kind of what I've been thinking about, studying, talking about lately. It's been kind of what's been on my mind above and beyond the stuff I do for fun. But I actually, 
I am different, I think, than other people in the sense that I'm not continuously reading self-help books, et cetera, like a lot of people in our community are. Um, I just don't have the flavor for it. I don't know what it is. I'm not a big mm-hmm. self-help junkie, even though I like self-help and I love having these conversations. And I guess people could say Earn and Invest has a self-help feel, but yeah, it is not not necessarily something I spend a lot of time reading up on. David, are you a big self-help junkie? I am. Yeah. So my, my parents, my mom specifically made us listen to Zig Ziglar uh, tapes in the car. And so any road trip, any 20 minute trip to the, to the grocery store was Zig Ziglar (laughs) talking about see you at the top and all those things. And uh, yeah, that's probably an an unhealthy amount of of Zig Ziglar has gone in my ears. I think it's good stuff. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, it just it never spoke to me as much. But that I don't I don't hold out that it may not in the future because I think when we get in different phases of our lives, we're ready for other things. I think I'm stuck in the content production phase when you're producing content. It's hard to consume a lot of content. Like I think it's hard to do both at a high level. And so in the last few years, I've much been more on the production side which means I'm consuming a lot less. We'll see if that changes. David, you're next. Ask yeah, I'm going to piggyback off the Amy's question because you said you're writing, I guess, another book. Um, you said, what's good and bad about purpose? And and I'm actually that kind of, I don't know. <laughs> I'm curious, what is good and bad about purpose? Because one of the things that I you know, I work with a lot of people that are are planning on retiring soon. And that is a question that I, you know, that I asked them a lot is like, well, what is the purpose? I think uh, Mitch Anthony said, you need enough money to, to, to sleep at night, but enough purpose to wake up in the morning. And that, that saying always sticks with me. And I tell it to all my clients because I think it's so impactful, but, but what is good and bad about purpose? Well, there's this thing called purpose anxiety. And in fact, studies show that up to 91% of individuals at some point in their life have purpose anxiety. When I went on the road with taking stock and I started doing a bunch of conferences, I went to one Camp Fi conference and I got a response I wasn't looking for. There was a young woman who was not quite so happy with me. And she's like, forget purpose. I'm tired of worrying about purpose. I sit around anxious, thinking there's this big thing that I'm supposed to find and I can't find it. And she said, my answer is, I don't think there is purpose. And I think that's fine. And so her point was, we spend way too much time worrying and thinking about purpose and it's making us anxious. And indeed, she's right. I think purpose does make people anxious. And I think part of the reason why is we fundamentally misunderstand what purpose is in our life. And because we misunderstand it, it leads us to actually feel worse and not better. Juxtapose that to the point that they've done studies on purpose and they find that people are healthier, live longer, and feel better when they have a sense of purpose. We've all heard that kind of data. So how can purpose both be horribly anxiety-ridden and also one of the best things for us? Again, my point is I think we misunderstand purpose, and that's what I'm hoping to talk about in this book is how we misunderstand purpose and how we can do better at it. That's that's actually pretty interesting. I'm just gonna make this comment. My uh, when when I there's a popular book in the Christian world called The Purpose Driven Life, and um, when I when I first got married, I I I texted my brother. I remember this, and I said, you know, what do you feel like is your purpose? And it was really fast. He texted me back, and he said, I'm here to be a good husband, 
to my wife and to be a good father to my kids. And it was just so simple and so clear. Uh, it, it stuck with me for it's for since so, 10 years ago. Yeah. I'm going to say something else which is going to stuck with you. One of my hypotheses, which I plan to talk about in the book, is that other people can't be your purpose. Hmm. which is very counterculture, counterintuitive, but I have a lot of reasons why I think that's true. And stay tuned. If you want to hear more, hopefully uh, I will at some point write the book and get it out there. We will see. Amy, tell me, besides talking about a new book, ask me anything. And that's exactly what I wanted to ask you. I want to know more, Doc G. I want to know how you're misunderstanding perp. I want to know more. But yeah, you want to you want to hold off on that. Only in the sense. I mean, I've talked about this on multiple other mm-hmm. interviews, and and it mm-hmm. focuses on this idea that what I call the difference between big P purpose and little P purpose. This idea mm-hmm. that people think that your purpose is supposed to be this big audacious thing that changes the world. But the problem with that is often that's fairly out of our control. And many times, whether you become a billionaire or change the world is actually somewhat due to luck and circumstance and a bunch of other things that are out of our hands. And so if we define our purpose based on something that's so audacious, all the hustlers out there, right? The all the hustlers are going to be like, oh, but you got to shoot high. And, and that's great. But the problem is only a small percentage of people actually reach those goals, which means that by nature, 90 whatever percent of people are going to feel anxious and worried and let down by this big sense of purpose. I think instead we need to focus on what I call little P purpose, which is finding things we love to do, that we love the process of doing them above and beyond what they achieve or what our goal is. So it's process versus product. And I think actually when we focus on those things that we truly enjoy, that are meaningful to us, that feel important during the process, I actually think we change the world more than the person who comes up with the next big invention or the person who becomes a billionaire and gives all their money away. All those things sound wonderful, but they're out of reach for most of us. Whereas little P purpose, this idea of finding what's meaningful to you, and then that becoming how you spend your time in little ways changes the world around us and actually creates much more of a legacy. So that that's my theory. Okay. So I guess adding on to that, you know, you talked a lot about building community. Um, Is that for, for you and, you know, and, and finding joy in movement and meditation and for you, would you consider that you're a little P purpose would you say, or, you know, if your purpose is not for other people, as you said earlier. So I would say that my little P purpose is things like public speaking and writing Mm -hmm. and podcasting Mm -hmm. and having these important conversations, but little P purpose eventually creates community. So by doing those things that I'm passionate Mm -hmm. about, by creating this podcast, By doing public speaking, I'm engaging other people and I'm starting conversations. And those conversations eventually lead to things like conferences and masterminds and community. And so I think if you do your purpose right, you build the people in the community around it, as opposed to the people in the community being the starting point. And that was my point about people shouldn't be your purpose. And there, there are a lot of reasons. And again, we could go deep into that. But I think... I think the people in the community are the product of your purpose mm-hmm. and not the other way around. Yeah, it makes sense. Thank you. I've definitely gotten purpose anxiety <laughs> several times in my life. So, you know, it, it's reassuring to hear that, you know, you're finding that in your research and that 
we don't have to put so much pressure on ourselves, right? I think that is. And I hate to say it, but I'm going to have to put some pressure on all of us because we're coming to an end to our time. So I'm going to ask David and Amy one more question for each of you. David, you are next. This is the last one. So make it good. Ask me anything. Uh, sure. So I'll, I'll bring it back to, to financial uh, independence. But uh, so uh, Thomas Stanley, Dr. Thomas Stanley wrote a book called The Millionaire Next Door. Um, after he passed away, his daughter, uh, Dr. Sarah, had started doing research and came up with this idea, or probably not an idea, but just from the research, this this concept of social indifference, and that it's basically one of the biggest factors, regardless of age and ethnicity and all, all those factors being excluded, of someone's net worth. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on you know, I, I I have thoughts on why so many people in the financial independence are the way they are, probably because of social indifference. Any thoughts on is that something that can be learned, uh, can be taught to your kids as a father, right? What are your thoughts there? So first and foremost, it's it's the millionaire next door is written by two guys and everyone always remembers Stanley. So it was Stanley and Danko, but no one remembers yeah. Danko. I don't even remember Danko's first name, a poor guy. Everyone remembers Stanley, but you're right. Stanley's <laughs> daughter ended up writing quite a bit and doing her own studies. So I haven't contemplated this very much, but it does fit a little bit into, I think, my hypothesis. We get purpose anxiety because we look for these big goals that often are very hard to attain. And I think we take our cues on what those big goals should be from our society, mm. from social media, and from the people around us. So I would say, in a sense, I think if you're looking to be content to social indifference, if I'm understanding the, the word correctly, because I've, I've never read about it, but from what you're describing, this idea of social indifference probably is part and parcel of figuring out what's important to you and pursuing a life that you're passionate about and what's meaningful to you, not what the world tells you is supposed to be meaningful, not those big audacious goals of being a billionaire or bringing world peace or whatever it is that the big audacious goals that that or the Instagram life, even for that matter, all those kind of things. I think when you become socially indifferent, you actually can then focus on what's really meaningful to you and pursue that. And I think when you do that, you find the happiness in that as opposed to all the accolades that we generally look for. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I I think they're connected. I mean, like I feel there's a connection there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, for, for those who are not familiar with that term, social indifference, it's basically like not keeping up with the Joneses, yeah, essentially. Yeah. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. I, 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 I think that's interesting because, yeah, people are especially in our digitally connected world, keeping up with the Joneses and trying to find their purpose on social media, which obviously is a, a fake right. type of purpose. But having worked for people like Elon Musk at SpaceX, like I did see that purpose and it's contagious. Like you just, he just says, Hey, we're going to Mars. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and you're like, all right, we're going to Mars. And so I, 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 it's easy to get behind people like that, that, that have that big, hairy, audacious goal. Yeah. Um, and, and, but I understand the little P too, where you're trying to focus on your own, your own life. And he, here's, here's something I think to be ultimately true. When you are going to social media, you're not finding your purpose. You're finding other people's purpose. And a real belief of mine is you don't find purpose, you create it. And so if you're out there searching for who to be or how to be and taking cues from other people, 
you're trying to find something you need to create. And I don't think it works really well that way. I think ultimately the people who are happiest didn't find their purpose. I think they created it. And why I like those terms is finding purpose makes it feel really out of your control and makes it feel like it's something you happened upon. Whereas creating your purpose is very action-oriented and action-driven. Purpose is a a current and future-oriented, and it's very action-oriented. And so whenever you're trying to define purpose and it's passive, then you're probably looking at it incorrectly. I don't know if that makes sense, Amy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that's what I believe. Mm -hmm. All right. You're up for the last question of this Ask Me Anything episode. Well, I know you've got some fun things on the horizon with your trip to Portugal with your family. And also you're writing your second book. And I guess I'm curious if you have any other plans or dreams you're wanting to fulfill on in the next year or two. All right. So does this sound bad? I feel like I've pretty much done most of what I need to in this world. Honestly, I don't know if that's true or not, but I kind of have had a family. I got married. I've loved deeply. I've passed on what I could to these children. Of course, I'd like to be there for a lot more of their life. I kind of was a doctor and I'm really proud of that. I just wrote a book, which was one of those last things that I really felt like I wanted to do and was too afraid to before. I don't know if I feel that life is incomplete in any way in that sense. Like I've argued in this book that we have to start coming to terms with this idea that you don't know how long you have to live. So let's try to deal with our regrets now so that if our day came tomorrow or the next day or next month that we could say we kind of took care of what we needed to take care of. So I've been really thoughtful about trying to take care of what I think I need to take care of. And I think mostly I have, like, I think I've mostly accomplished what I need to do. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't bucket list items. I I think bucket list items and purpose are very different things, too, which is also part of the book. I think bucket list items are these, like, one-time or time-off things, like, one-timers that we like to do, like, traveling to this place or doing this thing. And I don't really think that's purpose. I think that's, I think those sometimes spring from the well of purpose. So like your purpose might be experiencing new things and going new places. So going to that one bucket list item is part of that purpose. But, you know, I don't really think of those things as such. So I don't know. I have to tell you, I feel fairly at peace that I've kind of accomplished what I needed to accomplish. I know that sounds strange, but I don't have any big unresolved goals. And I'll tell you, that's kind of nice and freeing. Um, I often tell people, I tell my kids this, and I, I often, I tell people this when they're going through a hard time or facing something that's big and scares them. I always tell people you already are enough already, regardless of what happens next. And so I'm trying to now live that life. Like I'm trying to tell myself you've already accomplished enough, regardless of what tomorrow brings. Now that won't stop me from accomplishing more things. Um, But it takes some of the more painful aspect of worrying about achieving things when sometimes, like I said, sometimes that actually doesn't feel good. And so I I try to look at life that way. So I have to tell you, I don't have any real big, big things that I feel like I have to do now. I feel like I've done most of them. 
Yeah, it reminds me of your, you know, your last life review question about in what areas do you not have enough? And it sounds like you've really hit that sweet spot of feeling like you've reached enoughness in so many areas of your life. So I really want to acknowledge you for for creating and designing your life that way and really giving back and to your to your family and having a great career and writing a book and, you know, being out of your comfort zone to do those things that were scary to you. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And while I feel like I've come to a place where I understand enough a little better in my life. There will never be enough earn and invest podcast. But unfortunately, this is the end of this one. Before we go, Amy and Dave, please tell us where people can learn more about you and reach out if they want to. Amy, let's start with you. Where can they learn more about you and this Bali adventure that maybe could become a more than once thing? Thanks. Thanks, Jordan. Um, they can go to my website. It's five freedom retreats with an S uh, dot com and they can sign up for the mailing list because it did sell out very fast this year. So if they want to be notified uh, when tickets go on sale, the retreat will be happening September of 2024. The next one that will be available. Thanks so much. And David, how can people learn more about you if you want them to and how can they reach out? Sure. Yeah, my website is engineeryourretirementplan.com. Uh, but I'm most active on LinkedIn. So if you just search my name, David Sandu, you can uh, follow me uh, for uh, for content there. Amy Minkley and David Sandu, thank you so much for running this Ask Me Anything episode of Earn and Invest. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Dr. E. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Anything we missed? Any burning questions? So this is the after show, right? Any burning question you were like, oh, many. darn it, I didn't get to it and I have to ask that one. Oh, I had a long, long list of questions. Okay, this is kind of a fun one, Jordan. Um, what is your most valuable item or experience you purchased in the last year or two? And how has it benefited your life? Wow, the most... All right, so in the last year or two, does it have to be an item? Could it be a service? No, I said item or experience. Okay. I When I started writing Taking Stock... I got together with my agent and the platform, Earn and Invest platform is not huge, right? Like I don't have like a million Instagram followers, et cetera. So my agent was like, let's write a book proposal, but I really want you to work with a book coach on the proposal and your first chapter too, because I want to make sure it sparkles when we hand it into, into publishers. And so we hired a woman who isn't doing this anymore. So I'm not going to give her name out because um, she she no longer does this. She took another job um, who I worked with and she spent a significant amount of time talking to me about the ideas of the book, took all my writing because I had already written a bunch of it and we reorganized it and she changed some of it so that it was like still 95% mine, but she added in 5%. But that 5% she added in taught me so much about writing effectively that she worked with me on the introduction and first chapter. I didn't have her help for the rest of it. Like I just did the rest on my own. But 
I feel like I went from a mediocre writer to a much, much better writer after working with her. I had all the right ingredients and I had all the right storytelling, but there were just some ways that she presented information that were so much more clear and appealing than the way I was. And Mm -hmm. once I saw how it was done, I didn't find it hard to take everything else I had and transform it into that style. Um, And so I think that was invaluable. It is the best money. I spent a lot of money on this. It was not cheap. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But that was probably the best money I spent. It made me, I believe, a much better writer. What was it you saw in the writing that, um, and her style that you were able to implement? You know, it was just a way of presenting the information and engaging mm-hmm. the reader. I don't know if I know how to say it any more than mm-hmm. that. It was mm-hmm. a way of pulling you in better and engaging the the listener slash reader in a, just a very different way. Um and I found it, yeah, I found it to just, I think the, in fact, you know, my brother put it best. I mean, he, 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 it was kind of embarrassing, but one of my brothers, I had written and self-published some kind of very simple blog posts and things that I put together as books. And he looked at me and he's like, yeah, this book was written much better than the last one. <laughs> and, but it's true. It was much more readable and it was much more, I don't know if I want to say professional. It was much more made for a broader audience, I think. Um, all right, David, one, one, one last question is the after show. Anything that was on your list? Sure. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned that you're kind of in a content creation mode. So as a, as a financial advisor, I, this is, I feel like I live in this mode all the time because I'm constantly, I I get questions from my clients and then I create a webinar or I create a workshop Mm -hmm. or I create a, a blog post or or something, but, um, I'm not, I've thought a little bit about strategy, like content development strategy like how do you create a strategy for like hey the next six months here's what we're going to work on i'm just curious if you've if you have any thoughts on frameworks for content creation and i'm sure a lot of listeners are probably have thoughts like that like they want to create content as well so i'm lucky right because i work really in a community of content creators uh joe salcihai is a partial owner of earn and invest he's the stag benjamin's podcast i work with him on his podcast and he works with me on mine um, so a lot of times we'll calendar out the episode. So you look six months and I do episodes every Monday and Thursday. So we'll look at the calendar and we'll look at what major events and what days are coming. And then we'll look at what different types of material. So if I'm going to be talking about fire on a Monday, then maybe my Thursday is about something non-fire like entrepreneurial, or maybe the day after that's about budgeting. And maybe the day after that's about investing. So you can kind of calendar it out a little bit. And I think it's a way of planning your content creation. And so that's what we've spent a lot of time doing. But sometimes I just free flow it and I just talk about whatever's on my mind. It just depends. Is is there it was so one of the one of the concepts, right? When you take any kind of course on podcasting is you you want to talk to your niche audience, right? Like who is that person? So when I create content, like I am creating content for my ideal client who, and I, I have like a profile and avatar of who they are. Do you try to do that with your podcast or is it just, cause at some point, like you said, you can kind of just get burned out on the same things over and over again. Yeah. So strangely enough, I know what my avatar is, but I often go outside of it. Right. So for better or for worse, uh, my avatar is 35 to 55 year old men, highly educated who make over six figures. 
right? That's just who I know through surveying listens, generally white men, right? Um, on the other hand, my personal interest lies in lots of other things. Like I'm interested in things my listeners aren't. <laughs> so I have episodes about gender diversity and equity, and that does not speak to my audience. And in fact, I get I get negative feedback every time I do that. But that speaks to me. And so I I want my podcast to be a reflection of me, even knowing that occasionally that is not necessarily mm. what my audience wants to hear, because those are the things I'm passionate about. Um, so I would say that I know what the avatar is, but I don't always stick within it. And I think part of being a good content creator is occasionally throwing things at people they're not expecting. Now, the way you deal with that is you, if you're aware of your avatar and you're aware you're going outside of that with your content creation, you frame it to help people who are part of that avatar understand why it's important and why it fits it. Right? So... Mm -hmm. I know that my avatar is might be a 50-year-old financially independent or almost financially independent guy with a PhD who's white, um, who's highly invested. And I might want to have a conversation about why it's hard to be an African-American female, young African-American female coming into the corporate America today, right? So that doesn't really mm -hmm. speak to them. Um but if I frame it around, this could be your child, your next door neighbor. This could be the person who works in your firm. This could be what one of your employees is facing and you don't even know that they're feeling this. If I can frame it that way, then I'm trying to say, hey, this is not part of what you're used to, but it might make some sense to still pay attention to it. Yeah, I like that. All right. I think that's it. This is truly a wrap. Thank you guys so much for doing this. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.